Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, if you look first at the reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, it starts off with reference to what was going on at the time of Paul's writing and a story about the church in Macedonia. And it makes reference to the fact that the church in Macedonia was a church under affliction, extreme poverty, and yet at the same time gave incredibly generously. And it's really interesting because when we hear something like that or we read something like that, we say, wow, that's incredible. What a blessing. It's incredible that a church could do something like that, and we're even touched by that. But we think, well, that's for someone else to do. A lot of times in the church. See, we may not even be familiar with what was going on at the time, the fact that Christians in certain parts of the Roman Empire, were under persecution, were under affliction for different reasons. Some of it was out-and-out persecution. Some of it was the fact that merely by the fact that they became Christians, people would no longer support them in their business. And there was also a famine going on. So different parts of the Roman Empire were experiencing affliction and challenges at that time. And so some Christians had extreme poverty. And, for example, Paul wrote to the Corinthians that not many of you were of noble birth. That's in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, and verse like 26 or something like that. But the point being is that they weren't of noble birth, and yet he says you're much more well-off than the Macedonians, which is pretty amazing. And he says, but look at their giving, not by way of putting the Corinthians down, but by way of inspiring them, of saying, look at this. What an incredible thing that they're doing. Isn't this a tremendous witness to you and to the church at large that the Lord can move in this way? And oftentimes when we hear that, we either move on quickly or we say, isn't that wonderful that can happen to other people? Or that people can do things like that? But not us. We used to refer to that as Opie, not Andy Mayberry's son, Opie, okay? But when I was in high school and college, we referred to people like that as Opie, other people. Because we had friends in high school and college that any time they went anywhere, it was always other people that would provide what they need. And we called those people Opies, other people. If they needed a piece of gum, hey, you got a piece of gum? They were Opie's. If we went to a party and, you know, someone was supposed to bring pizza or beer or something like that, they never brought anything. They were Opie's. If you went to a concert and people would bring recreational stuff that would be passed down the aisle, 
And they never brought the stuff. They were Opie's. See, I was always designated driver, so I just went like this anyway. And we had a friend, and this guy is still a friend today. When we went to Pittsburgh, we saw him. He was in my wedding party. But this friend, just a few months before Meredith and I got married, felt compelled to take Meredith out to get something to eat and explain to her what she was getting into marrying me. And just warning her. Now, we're coming up on 39 years this August, so I think it worked. But anyway, Scott, my friend, had a reputation. I'm going to tell you his last name and what we used to call him, actually. But Scott had a reputation. Now, Scott grew up in this neighborhood. His dad had horses, country club area, okay? And Scott actually worked, though. I give him credit for that. He used to cut lawns. And I worked. In a restaurant, I was a busboy, then I was a waiter. And I always had money. And I periodically would substitute for Scott when he went on vacation or something. And I would cut the lawns in his neighborhood. And what they paid in his neighborhood compared to mine, oh my gosh. It was good money. Scott always, always, always had $2 in his wallet. That's it. We'd go out to pizza. He'd say, I have $2. We used to call him Two Buck, whatever his last name was, okay? Because that's all he ever had, $2. One time when he took Meredith out for dinner to talk to her about marrying me and how maybe it wasn't the best idea, at least right now, they went out for pizza. What does Scott have in his wallet? Who ends up paying for the pizza? Meredith. Scott reaches out his hand for the change. Right? Unbelievable. Scott was an Opie. It was always other people. Okay? See, sometimes when it comes to ministry and the grace of God and the work of God, we always think it's Opie. It's other people. And really, when you read the Scripture, that's not really what God's call is about. If you really understand what scripture is calling us to. And it's really, really interesting because when you actually read this passage and it, and it couples these words, it's really, really wonderful. And you will often find these words together, grace and joy. Grace and joy. The grace given to them and the abundant joy of their lives, the abundant joy of their giving. See, I think the unfortunate thing for a lot of people is they just don't understand the grace that they've been given. Or they presume upon the grace that they've been given. Let me explain. See, we use the word grace a lot when it comes to church. You know, church things often use this word grace that we kind of just roll off our backs in hymns and songs and liturgy. 
But somehow it can lose its impact on us and the power of the word grace. Let me put it in another way so you really get the impact of the word grace. It's a gift. And if you want to have a picture in your mind, picture a child of about five or six years old on Christmas or their birthday getting a gift that they really want. And the joy that they experience when they get the gift they really want, that's grace. That's grace. That's a picture of grace for you to hold on to. And that's what God says we've been given in Jesus Christ. In the gift of salvation. Well, let's back up even more than that. The fact that you're here at all. The gift that you've been given in life. If you really understand the gift of life. So many people don't have joy in just living. So many people just, they're angry. They walk around like not really enjoying life because they're jealous or they're envious or they've got unforgiveness in their life. And so there's not joy in living. And let me tell you, God, the first gift he gave you is your life. Guess what? You're not here by your choice. You're here because of your parents and God, not because of you. So your first gift is your life. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the second gift you've been given is salvation and eternal life, which also includes abundant life. So if you don't have reason to have joy, you're really missing it. It's not that you don't have challenges. It's not that you don't have pain. It's not that you don't have struggle. That's not the point. But the joy that we are meant to understand that life is about because of life in the first place and then the gift of Jesus Christ that we have, the offering of himself, the fact that what we really deserve is judgment, the fact that we are sinners. The fact that he came in the first place for us out of love. The fact that he went to the cross in our place for our sin. And died for us. Because he loves us. That's grace. And he rose again. To show he has power over sin and death. And he offers that to us, the gift. We can have joy. We can have joy, abundant joy. See, and if you presume on that, you're going to say, eh, no big deal. And you're going to miss the joy that way. If you think that everybody's okay, it doesn't matter, you're going to miss it that way. If you really understand the gift of life and the gift of salvation and eternal life, then you're going to know his joy. That's why I enjoy life. 
I have fun. And we are meant to enjoy life. We are meant to be models for other people. And that's why when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, look, you understand? Don't you remember? Let me remind you. And he writes 1 Corinthians 13. What's 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter. It's not just for marriages, by the way. It's not just about weddings. It's about life. It's about us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful. It's not rude. Do you remember that? That's not just about marriages. Most marriages don't do it anyway. It's about life. And then 1 Corinthians 14, that talks about how we're to interact as the body of Christ. There is no lesser. There is no more. We're in this together. When you really understand what we're to be about as the body of Christ, we're, we're in this together. We're working together. So we're counting it all joy so that we can be thankful, so that we can be generous. And that's what he's saying to the Corinthians. Look, that's why the Macedonians were able to be generous, even in their poverty. And I've seen that. I mean, I thought I understood it when I was younger. But when I started doing short-term mission trips to Mexico and Dominican Republic and Honduras and to Tanzania, that's when I really learned what Paul is talking about here. That people in their poverty can be really, really joyful and they celebrate even giving to us that have so much compared to them. I've told this story years ago, but it bears repeating. When we went to Mexico one time, and when I say we, it was Meredith and I. I went on a preaching teaching mission to a place called Saltillo. A guy that I had developed a friendship with, a clergyman, a rector. He was the rector of the church in Saltillo, Mexico. Invited me down. So we went down, Meredith and I, together. We stayed in his home. They had a daughter, I forget. She was like 14, 15 years old, something like that. And Meredith commented to her, those are such cute earrings. And she went, they're yours. And Meredith said, no, I can't take them. And she said, no, you have to. And Meredith starts crying and looks at me and I said, you have to. Now, they were probably worth two or three dollars, which to us is not a big deal. To them, that's a lot more. I will never forget that scene as long as I live, ever. And I know Meredith won't. That's burned in our lives because of that immediate response of generosity. They were just thankful we were there. They just wanted to do something. That's what Paul's talking about. That when you have and understand that grace, and when you have that joy, your response is, I've got to do something. I've got to give of myself somehow. 
That's what God's calling me to do. I can't do otherwise. And that's what the Macedonians were compelled by. I mean, it's like forgiveness. It's the same idea. If you don't really understand the depth of the forgiveness that you need, you will not be forgiving. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's why the story in Luke chapter 7, great story, about the woman who comes, falls at Jesus' feet, weeps at his feet because of the depth of Jesus' forgiveness of her sin. And Simon, the Pharisee, whose home it is, is looking down and sneering at this woman, thinking, Jesus, if you were a prophet, you'd really know and understand what kind of woman this is. How dare you let her even do this to you? Jesus, knowing exactly what's going on, says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he basically said, the reason you didn't even greet me with a kiss is because you don't understand the depth of forgiveness. And what it, understa- what it means to be grateful and generous and kind because of the depth of God's mercy and grace on your life. Because if you did, that's the way you would be. It's the same idea. If you understood how much God has given you in this life, you would respond by being generous to other people. And it's not even a matter of amount. That's not the point. Just by way of contrast, Jairus... The gospel reading, Jairus was the leader of the synagogue, known as a generous man, a God-fearer, who asked Jesus to come to his home to heal his child. He was wealthy. See, it's not how much you have, because you can have a lot and be selfish. You can have a lot and have an entitlement mentality. And you can be in utter poverty and be selfish and have an entitlement mentality. It doesn't matter how much you have. It depends on what you do with what you have. It depends on the state of your heart. Because in Paul talking, what he says is, The Macedonians gave first to the Lord. In other words, they tithed. Because the tithe is fair, which Paul makes reference to. In other words, 10% goes to the Lord. And 10% of a lot of money is a lot of money. And 10% of a little money is not that much. That's where God is being fair. But then giving above and beyond that, that's your call. And that's what Paul's saying. When you give to the poor, to the widow, to the orphan, to the needy, to things like buildings, that's your call.
the Macedonians went above and beyond. And Paul's saying this, not if you caught it, not because he says, I want you to feel an obligation, not because I want you to feel a sense of duty, not because I'm laying a guilt trip on you. I want to inspire you. I want you to see what real grace when it's fully understood, when it impacts your life, when you're experiencing the joy of the Lord in abundance, how it really can transform your life. And you experience joy in giving of yourself, of your time, talent, and resources. He makes reference to those who had had enough and those who had too much, there was nothing left over. That reference that he makes at the end of the passage, that's about the manna, by the way, the manna in the wilderness. The people sometimes hoarded it. And if you know anything about that particular section of Scripture, if you hoarded it, guess what happened the next day? It spoiled. It went rotten. And that's what happens. You can't gather up enough in this life to make you live on into eternity. Guess what? You're going to die. And it's going to be left. That's why Jesus said, build up your treasures in heaven. But there's one fascinating thing about gathering up the manna, by the way. If you gathered up too much the day before the Sabbath, it didn't spoil on the Sabbath. That's God's economy. God has a wonderful economy. You just have to figure it out. And once you do, there's joy. If you don't, you never really understand the joy that God has in mind for you. God's economy is great. God doesn't want you to be an opie. Always depending on other people. You know what's interesting? Is there are people that are incredibly wealthy. That are opies. There really are. Case in point, I've been here for over 25 years, right? I've had people that are, quote-unquote, members of St. Luke's that haven't been here in years, haven't supported the church in years, yet if they want a wedding or a funeral, guess what? (laughs) Who has paid for this church to exist and the buildings to exist? Not them. And the ministry to continue? Not them. As wealthy as they have been, they have an entitlement mentality to the buildings and to the ministry of St. Luke's because they're members. They're opies. Isn't that interesting? See, it's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. That's God's design. Let me put a little different spin on it. It's called freedom. Wednesday, July 4th, Independence Day, we celebrate our freedom. And some people treat freedom as selfishness, entitlement, license, And I'm not talking about license like a driver's license or a hunting license or a fishing license, okay? Because you need all that if you're going to do what you're going to do. 
I'm talking about license in terms of I'm entitled to do what I want, how I want, because I'm in charge of my own life. That's not freedom. That's license. The kind of freedom intended by the Founding Fathers and our Lord, who created us in His image to have free will, is freedom with responsibility. Free to use our time, talents, and treasures as He intended. Freedom to understand the gift of life and the gift of salvation. Freedom to understand that we're equal at the foot of the cross. Free to understand that He has a call on your life. And He wants you to understand the gift of His grace. So that you understand His desire for you to respond out of joy and thanksgiving and generosity. Not out of obligation. Because we are His church, His body, His hands, His mouth, we are to offer His grace by our words and our deeds to those around us with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. Freely. Because He freely gave Himself for us. Freely in this country because people laid down their lives so that we could have this kind of freedom here. As we think about the 4th of July. I want you to think and pray about the freedom that you've been given here in this land and through the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. And don't be an opie. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. And live with joy. Let's pray. God, we don't want to be people who live without joy and presume upon your grace. We don't want to be people of selfishness or always think that it's other people's responsibility. But to look at the gifts and talents and resources and opportunities that you've given to us. And most especially, to see the gift that you've given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the grace that you've poured out on our lives. And as we approach the 4th of July, the freedom that you've given to us in this land, Lord, lead us daily that we might be people who reflect your love, your grace, your joy, 
as we share of ourselves generously in forgiveness, in time, in resources, in the abilities that you've given to us, that we might be a blessing to those around us and be people of grace as you have given your grace freely to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.